waiting is hard. <laughs> Maybe more appropriately to this, waiting was painfully awkward. <laughs> you, know, you know how hard that is to practice when nobody is sitting there? <laughs> waiting is, is hard. It's, it's really very difficult. And, and I don't know about you, but does anyone else here have, have any difficulty being patient in life? Anybody else willing to fess up? Along with me, I have a hard time being patient. Good. I'm not alone. If you didn't put your hand up, you're probably lying. That's fine. <laughs> we know it's hard to wait. I mean, all of us are here on Christmas Eve morning counting down the minutes until we get to open presents. Maybe some of you are Christmas Eve present openers, and so you have a, a shorter wait some of you are Christmas morning. It means you have to sleep on it one more time. For me and my family, uh, my sister had the good idea to go with her husband, uh, with his side of the family, because they wanted to be together at Christmas. So we're waiting all the way until New Year's morning before I get to open my presents. I know. <laughs> Feel the pain. The nerve. It seems no matter what we are waiting for, whether it's uh, opening our gifts or something maybe much more substantial, the wait itself can be quite hard. And the Christmas character we're looking at this morning is uh, a fellow by the name of Simeon. And he's not kind of a, a traditional character in the Christmas story. He doesn't show up at the nativity. He, he comes uh, eight days later when, when Jesus is presented at the temple according to the law of Moses as was required. And Simeon shows up, and, and it's kind of after the fact. Uh, but, but what he does and his, the role that he plays really confirms a lot of the message of the Christmas story. And he gives us a very good insight, an example to follow, as to what it might mean to wait well. What waiting on God might look like. Now, I know Pastor John spoke on Simeon one year ago, but I just couldn't wait to do it again. There we go. That's also hard to do with no people. Will anyone get it? In particular, Simeon was a man whom God had given a very specific and substantial promise. God had told him that he would not die until he met the Messiah, God's chosen one, the anointed one, the deliverer of Israel. What a promise to have. What a thing that is worth waiting for. I encourage you, you can open up your Bibles if you brought them with you to, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And the story of Simeon will be verses 25 to 35 of that chapter. I'll read it for you here this morning. You can keep your Bibles open there. We're going we're to refer back to Simeon a few times throughout our time together. Luke 2, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory uh, of your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointment, appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, 
and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to commit this time to you. We want to come before you humbly, ready to learn from your word, and ready to understand more of what it might mean to follow the example of Simeon and to wait well. I pray that you would guide us into your truth, and I pray that we would celebrate the coming of your Son. Amen. Amen. So, one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to focus on Simeon here this morning is that my wife Karen and I find ourselves recently, in the past little while, in a season and a period of waiting. And, and God hasn't been silent during that time. In fact, we have come across many different uh, sermons or passages or devotionals or, or topics dealing, dealing with waiting and seen many different perspectives on it. So when Rusty asked if I could preach, and I said, sure, I really wanted to go and look at the character Simeon. And, and there's much more going on here with Simeon, but we will in particular look at the wait and, and try to unpack a little bit more about how we as Christ followers can continue to wait if we find ourselves in that period in our life. Now we have a common saying, good things come to those who wait. Good things come to those who wait. And Again, I've never been a big fan of that, but it's probably more due to my lack of patience. I'm like, can't good things come like sooner than that? You know, can't they come right away? Uh, and, and maybe, again, if you're like me and you, you struggle with patience, you might not love that saying. But there's, but there's something else kind of underlying that that I think can be a little bit misleading. Good things come to those who wait. The problem there is with the promise, because what it's saying is that if you wait, it will be good. But we don't know how good the thing is that you are waiting for. The wait doesn't determine the gift or the promise or the thing that you are waiting for will be good. That is not determined by the period of time that you wait for it. Something isn't necessarily good or better or best just because you wait. When I was thinking about this, I was taken back to my Bible school days, which are rapidly becoming further and further in the past for me. Uh, back in Bible school, so that's probably, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago-ish, um, and uh, I was sitting in one chapel in particular, and there was a guest speaker, and I can't remember his name, but I remember what he talked about, and he was, he was kind of using this fable of, of, a, of a child who was given a choice. You can either have a dime today or a dollar a month from now. And of course, there was two kids, and one accepted the dime and spent it on candy right away, which you can't even get candy for a dime anymore. And the other, uh, the other kid waited a month and got the dollar and was able to do ten times the things with that amount of money. There's a moral of the story there. Good things come to those who, who wait. But then the speaker applied that to all the romantic relationships in the chapel at the time. And I was thinking, wait a minute. Did he just call, you know, did he just call all of our romantic relationships a dime? Like, like, we're guaranteed to settle for worse if we get married shortly after college? Like, it could be true for some people. Uh, I was looking over at Karen. I'm like, she might have the dime right now. I don't know. Uh, I feel like I got the dollar. Let's seal the deal, right? You can't just, you can't paint with broad strokes. You're not guaranteed something better just because it's further in the future. The weight doesn't determine the goodness of the gift. This was true even in our own story. Uh, Simeon was given a promise by God saying, you will see the Messiah, and that was a good gift. One of the things that, that was good to point out is that we don't know for sure how old Simeon was. If you look at the picture here, we have him depicted as, as a wizened old man. But the only evidence we have for that 
is his willingness to die after he had seen Jesus. It never once mentions his age or how long he's been waiting or when he was given that promise, whether it was a week or years beforehand. We don't know how long Simeon had to wait. All we know is that he did wait and that the promise was worth it. So I would change things a little bit. Instead of saying good things come to those who wait, I would say God things come to those who wait on him. What I mean by that is I mean the wait doesn't determine the goodness of the gift. It is God who determines the goodness of the gift. It is the promise of God that is worth waiting for no matter how long we find ourselves waiting. It could be a short period of time. It could be a, a, you know, a, a, a medium period of time. It could be a prolonged period of time. But it is God and his goodness and the gift that he desires to give us that is worth waiting for no matter how long that time period would be. It is the goodness of God's promise that clearly helps Simeon wait patiently. He is waiting for a promise and a gift that is worth waiting for. And we see that confirmation in verses 29 to 32 when he, when he holds the baby Jesus in his arms. God lets him know this is the one you have been waiting for. Let's look one more time at the, at the prophecy that, or the hymn that is given by Simeon. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And so Simeon knows, he understands, God has given them that perspective of the magnitude of that moment, that, that he is holding a child in his hands that is salvation for all people. That, that the whole human history is turning on its axis because of the child that he is gazing down upon in that moment. It is good news. And when we read that hymn of Simeon, we should be drawn to, uh, to a similar passage just earlier in Luke chapter 2. When the angel appears to the shepherds, he gives a very similar uh, prophecy. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So when Mary and Joseph heard Simeon say something similar, it would have been not the first time that they heard that message. It would be a confirmation, their understanding and learning more and more about who Jesus is and how much he means, not only to them and to Israel, but to all people. And that message of the angel to the shepherds and Simeon to Jesus' parents is also critical for us here today. The reason we gather together, the reason we talk about Jesus being born is because he is our Savior. He is the only way that we can have that right relationship with God, a relationship that will never end, but instead extend forever and ever. Because when that baby was born, it was only the first chapter in the, in the mission that God had given him, and that he would grow up and he would be obedient to his heavenly Father, even to death on a cross where he died for your sins. And three days later, he conquered death by being raised by the Spirit back to life. Forty days after that, he ascended into heaven and then gave us our helper, our advocate, his Holy Spirit. In all of these things, Simeon is saying, this is salvation for all people, not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles, and not just for our people of our time, but for you and for me here today. It is something worth celebrating, and for Simeon, it was definitely something worth waiting for. If we think now a little more personally in your life, 
I'm sure that God has given you promises that you are indeed waiting for. I've acknowledged that I'm in a season of wait, but I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. In fact, I believe all of us could think of something in our life that we are waiting patiently for God to come through. We are patiently waiting. And so I'd like you just to take a moment here in your own heart, in your own mind, to answer this question. What promise of God are you waiting for today? What promise of God are you waiting for today? Is it a, a future job promotion? You just, you just want to, to, to continue to, to further your career. You, maybe you need, uh, you just, you're looking forward to a raise so you can support your family a, a little more substantially. Maybe uh, if you're a younger person, you're, you're waiting on getting accepted to that top university of your choice. And you're at the beginning of your career and you would love to know where God desires you to go. Or again, if you're a younger person, one of the biggest things you find yourself waiting for as a youth or a young adult is to find that special someone, to find that person that God might have in mind for you as far as spending the rest of your life with them. Is there anybody out there for me? Who is it? How long must I wait to find that type of companionship in marriage? These are all just some examples of very real questions that I know we're all asking ourselves and we're asking God here today. What are you waiting for? And can you trust that God's gift is the best, that it is his goodness and his love for you that is worth waiting for his answer and his promise at the end of that season. You see, problems arise when we grow impatient and lose sight of the goodness of God's eventual plan. Problems arise when we think we know better and we try to speed things up or make things happen that maybe God didn't intend. A very good biblical example of this comes all the way back in the book of Genesis with Abram, Sarai, and Hagar and Ishmael. Abram was given, again, a very special and specific promise by God. God took him outside and said, Abram, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars you see in the sky. I will make a great nation out of you. He had a direct promise from God. There was only one problem. He didn't have any kids. He had no kids. And this promise that he would have um, numerous, numerous descendants. And not only did he not have children, but he and his wife were getting more and more advanced in age, and it didn't look likely that they would be able to have children. So instead of waiting patiently for God's timing and his good gift, Sarai came to Abram and said, look, I've got this uh, servant, Hagar. Uh, you could just uh, take her, and, uh, and then you could uh, get her pregnant, and then we could start this God's promise thing a little bit faster. So Abram agrees to that, and he does sleep with Hagar, and she does become pregnant. But then everything goes sideways. As soon as the servant becomes pregnant, she lords it over her master, Sarai. She says, look at me, I have worth because I am pregnant and you cannot bear children. So Sarai gets jealous and throws her out of the household, banishes her from the camp and from the protection of Abram. And Hagar finds herself pregnant and stranded in the wilderness, and she cries to God for help. And God sends an angel, and, and the angel's message I think, see if you find this familiar. This is what the angel says to Hagar. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Now, the beginning of that message sounds a lot like the angel coming to Mary, doesn't it? 
There's some definite parallels there, some tones there. But the problem is that Ishmael and Hagar, they, they, they were at strife with Abram and his family, and their descendants were at strife with their descendants, and that has been a long-standing negative consequence of that action. There has not been peace, both in that moment and the generation after and the generation after, next and next and next. So by not waiting patiently on God's perfect timing, Abram and Sarai invited hardship. God eventually did come through, and Sarah was able to give birth to Isaac. And the story goes on from there. I've had something similar happen to me in my life. Uh, Many of you may have heard the story of how Karen and I came to be uh, a a couple. And uh, I had designs on that maybe a little earlier than she did. Uh, Again, going back all the way to my Bible school days, uh, we spent the first year of Bible school together in in the same worship band. And at the end of that year, we toured for three weeks all the way to the East Coast and back. And so when you're in a tour like that with that team, you get to know each other pretty well. And it became pretty obvious to me that I, that I started to really like Karen quite a bit. She was a cool girl. She had it all together, and, and she was someone that I was, was quickly falling for. And so then when we went home that summer, we realized we only lived about half an hour away, so we saw each other during the summer. And we came back for our second year of college, and I decided I was going to ask her out. So I went on a walk to ask her out. Now, gentlemen, piece of advice. If you're going to ask a girl out and you're walking, wait until like the very end of the walk, you know, just to hedge your bets. Because, because if she says no and you have a, 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 you know, a chunk of the walk left, it's really awkward, okay? So just end of the walk. I don't know, maybe just pass a note in school. Do whatever you can. But she said no. She said that she wasn't interested in me. Ouch. You know, that stung and walk the rest of the way. So <laughs> see you at lunch, I guess. <laughs> it was tough for me. And I was a sucker for punishment and I couldn't get Karen out of my mind. So at Christmas time, I just, I went back and I said, okay, so like you said no. Did you mean like not right now or <laughs> like never? And Karen's now quite famous words are not ever. I asked her to be clear, and she gave me clarity. <laughs> right there. Not ever. So you know what? The next year kind of went by, and, 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 and to be honest, I couldn't shake my feelings for this girl. And I started praying about it. I said, God, I don't want to be a creep. Like, she said no. Uh, so you know what? I just felt like God was asking me to be a good friend, and any other feelings I had, I just gave to him. I said, hey, take these away if they're not supposed to be here. And, and I tried to work on my friendship, and then eventually in the third year, uh, we started spending even more time together, and then something for Karen changed. Uh, I I don't know what it was. Maybe I was hitting the gym a little more often, or (laughs) you'll have to ask her. She doesn't really even know, but she started to see me a little differently, and then she had to come to me and say, hey, I know I said that not everything, but so you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) Yeah, and we started dating our third year. We were engaged a year after that, and the rest is history. Here's the whole point of the story. My second year of college that I asked Karen out at the beginning of was the hardest year of my life. I I was a mess. I struggled with depression. I struggled with anger. I was angry. I turned inward. I was a mess of a human being. I wanted nothing to do with God. If Karen would have said yes, if I would have got what I wanted when I wanted it, it would never have lasted. It would never have made it that year. God knew what he was doing when he asked me to wait. He says, I have something good in store for you, but not now. There's more that you have to walk through. I am asking you to wait and to wait well because my promise, my timing 
is worth it. And so church, I have to say that I've, I've learned this already and I'm needing to relearn it right now, but there's probably a time in your life where hopefully you can see the same, that it is worth waiting on God. Do you trust that God, thing come, God things come to those who wait? Or are you, are you at risk of acting like Abram and Sarai, speeding up the promise of God, trying to make things happen on your own that might not be part of God's intent? So I think it's good to say, okay, we can wait, and I can trust that God's promise and his timing are best, but we know that just waiting doesn't mean you're patient. It's definitely possible not to wait well. Simeon shows us that waiting isn't just enough. Again, we have to wait well. How we wait matters. You're not being patient if you're sitting there and, and kind of moaning and bemoaning and getting bitter and angry. That's not waiting. That's being forced to wait. That's not being patient. Church, do you want to know who does not wait well? Uh, five-year-old and two-year-old boys in the car, okay? <laughs> they do not wait well. It, they are incredibly impatient. Are we there yet? What can I do? I'm bored. And then we have the blessing and the curse of the, of the DVD player. Can I watch a show? No, we're going to church. It's a two-and-a-half-minute drive. You're barely buckled up. Just hang on. They're forced to wait. They're strapped in there. They have to wait. That doesn't mean that they wait well. But again, if I'm honest with myself in my spiritual life, I act like that towards God. I might not be getting what I want when I want it, and do I, just, do I exhibit patience? Do I trust in him? Or do I act like a bored toddler strapped in the seat with nowhere to go? How we may wait matters greatly. We need to be patient. Simeon was a good example to follow in this regard. The scripture tells us that he was both righteous and devout. Righteous means he acted rightly towards other people. He had good relationships with his community, and he was well-respected. Devout means he was a devout religious man. He cared greatly, was very intentional about observing his Jewish religion, and he had a good relationship with God. He had a good relationship with God and others. And while these are admirable qualities, if we really want to wait well, if you want to see what the secret is for Simeon, we need to look at his example and his relationship with the Holy Spirit. There are three instances in our passage that talks about Simeon's relationship with the Spirit. It first says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was influencing him. And then it said that God's promise had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. This is how he knew he was going to see the Messiah. And then lastly, it says that he came to the temple because the Holy Spirit led him there. In all of these ways, both recognizing the promise of God, trusting the promise of God, and following the, the leading of God was all due to Simeon's relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's really quite interesting because uh, we now, due to the, to the death and the resurrection of Christ, we have the ability to have the Spirit abide in us. That's how, that's how the Apostle John loves to describe it. That the Holy Spirit can live in us and we can abide in him. But Simeon didn't live in that time, did he? He's in the, New, in the New Testament, but he doesn't see the resurrected Christ. He sees the, the newborn Christ in his arms. Jesus is yet to walk to the cross. He is yet to, to conquer death and to live again. And so Simeon's relationship with the Spirit is, is similar to that of maybe some of the other Old Testament figures where the Holy Spirit comes upon them at specific times and then leaves. But, but the way that, that it, it talks about Simeon is actually quite unique in that regard. It seems that he has an ongoing relationship with the Spirit. The Spirit is upon him, and he is clearly being led by God. Like Simeon, if we want to wait well, then we need to primarily seek the influence and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, 
Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So if we want to wait well and be patient, we need to look to the Holy Spirit for leading in that regard. And so you might be, maybe you're new here or you're just a friend or a family and, and you're starting to say, okay, what does this mean, being led by the Spirit? That's kind of hard to grab onto. Or you could be a good Baptist who sat in this pew and is like, I have never had a mystical experience with God and I don't intend to start now. Right? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit, to be open to the Spirit that seems kind of hard to grasp? So I want to give us three very quick ways in which we can, in our lives, in our relationship with God, ask and, and, and be open to God's Spirit in our life. Firstly, we need to try to remove the obstacles that get in our way, right? Thanks to Jesus and our trust and our faith in Him, we have the Spirit within us, and, and the Spirit is there, and God wants to influence us with His Spirit, but then we have this nasty habit of putting a bunch of roadblocks in the way. The main way that we do this is sin, so if you're asking yourself, you're saying, I don't, I don't really hear God's spirit or feel his leading in my life, one of the first questions you need to ask and be honest is saying, hey, is there a sin in my life, this big, ugly, unconfessed, habitual sin that just always brings me back and, and gets in the way of my relationship with God and, and plugs my ears to what the spirit might have to say? The first step is to confess that sin, to ask for repentance of it and freedom from it and remove that obstacle. But sin is not the only obstacle in our life that I think gets in the way of, of hearing God's Spirit. It could be busyness. We just have no time. We're full of all these other things and all these other voices and messages that, that, are, that are coming our way. We don't have any time for God's Spirit and that still small voice. Or, or it could be selfishness, where we're so driven by ourselves that we never think about what God would have us do in any instance. In all of these ways, if we want to hear God's Spirit, we need to get rid of those obstacles. And secondly, it might sound like common sense, but it's hard. We need to actually listen to what God might have to say. I've confessed a lot here already this morning, um, but, but just as I am not always prone to being patient, I'm also not a very good listener. Surprising. Uh, you can uh, talk to Karen about that. She knows full well. But even in my prayer life with God, I would much rather talk to him than listen to him. That's my predisposition. Okay, time to pray. Dear God, uh, you're awesome. I would like this. Thank you. Right? And that's, that's my prayer life. But how, how am I, how are any of us supposed to be led by the Spirit if we never listen? So one of the things that God has been continuing to train and encourage me is to say, hey, you need to seek some solitude and silence. You need to be alone. You need to carve out some time to intentionally strip away some of those other noises of life and to quit talking for a bit and to say, I'm here, God. Do you have anything to say to me? Is there any promise you'd like to reveal to me? Is there any message that, that, that you want to make clear to me in this time of waiting? We have to be intentional about opening ourselves up to listen to what God might have to say. Solitude and silence. It doesn't come naturally. For me, it's, it really is a spiritual discipline, but it works, and it's helpful, and it's something that we could all benefit from. And lastly then, if we want to wait well and discern the Spirit, we need to compare notes. So say that you've removed these obstacles and you've listened to God and you feel like He is promising you something or asking you to go a certain direction. He doesn't ask you to make that decision just all on your own. He wants to make sure that we have some checks and balances. And the main way that we do that is you go to Scripture. If God, if you feel God has asked you to do something, go to His Word because he will never ask you to do something that is contrary to how he has already revealed himself to be, right? So his character, his love, 
His kindness, his mercy, his justice, all of these things have been revealed to us already. So if you want to know, is this of God or is this just of me? First, go and compare it to Scripture, and that will hopefully make things more clear. But secondly, compare notes with someone else that you really love and respect. Go to another Christian, whether it's a a peer that you know you really respect their walk and their spiritual maturity. Go to them. Say, hey, this is what I feel God is asking me. What do you think? Is there any word of truth that you can speak into my life? Or, or someone that you look up to that could be a spiritual mentor to you? You can go and ask them, hey, uh, does this make sense to you? Does this add up? Do you think this could be from God? Because we're meant to do this in community. We're not meant to do this idea of discerning God's spirit and waiting. It doesn't have to be in isolation. It doesn't have to be in a vacuum. We should do these things together. And when we do this, when we remove our obstacles of sin and busyness, and when we sit down and listen to God, and then when we bring his message and look at it against scripture and those we respect, then we start to have a clearer understanding of what is a promise of God, what is worth waiting for, and how we can be patient while we wait. How we can be patient. So church, we are called to wait to take hold of God's promises, and we want to wait well by being open to the leading of the Spirit And this leading has some very direct effects on us. So my last point is this. Sometimes the gift is not just at the end of the period of waiting. Sometimes the wait itself is part of God's gift. Sometimes it is the wait itself that is part of God's gift. So if we get to a place where we are able to trust that God indeed knows best for us, and we follow after his leading patiently, and I will promise you this, you will be changed by God. He will be at work in you. You will start to become a different person. You will be transformed. The Holy Spirit does not just direct us. He actually changes us. I'm drawn to this passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul writes it this way. He's comparing the old covenant where we couldn't really know God, to the new covenant where it's been revealed in Christ. And he says, but when one turns to the Lord, that being Jesus, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit." So what what does Paul mean by that? What do I mean by that? That when we are seeking after God and, and we're learning to listen to his spirit and we're waiting patiently, the spirit is actively at work in us. And so sometimes waiting and being kind of forced to rely on God a little bit more, being, being called to listen to him and, and to get rid of some of those distractions, all of that isn't just to reach the end of our wait. It is actually a necessary and important part of the journey so that we can be molded more into the image of Christ himself. And God can continue to create in us the spirit that he would love. And we become more of the men and the women of God just as he desires us and created us to be. The weight is part of the gift. So what do we do with that? Well, we need to embrace the journey. Sometimes we always go through this wait and we just want it to be over. We want it to be done. It's hard. It's a dark season. When will this be done? When can we just get that promise? But if we're not careful, we can start to always live in the future, desiring what we do not yet have, longing for a destination that hasn't arrived. That's not God's goodness in your life. The wait is part of God's gift. Enjoy the journey that you take to reach God's promise because it will change you then how can you appreciate the season of waiting that you find yourself in? 
I think firstly you need to be content with what you have. I've heard it said that happiness comes from being okay with what you have. Contentment comes from being okay with what you don't have. Are we content? Here's a test for you. You're waiting right now. You've, you've thought of something you're waiting for. If you never receive what you are waiting for, is God still good enough? If you never have that answer to that prayer, if God asks you to wait your whole life and you never receive what you were longing for, is God's love still sufficient for you? Are you truly content in Him? If you can answer yes, then you have reached contentment. That is part of what God may be asking you to do here this season of waiting. We need to be content. But we also need to be looking for what God might teach us in this time. It's something that Karen and I have really tried to do recently. We know we're waiting. We're frustrated. But we want to say, okay, God, are you trying to show us something? Are you trying to teach us more about yourself? More about who you would like us to become? And when we look for the ways that God is is wanting to, to teach us and to train us, he can then use it to shape us in good ways. What is God trying to teach you today as you wait for his promise? Been going a good long while. I know what you're thinking. Are we there yet? <laughs> yep. Sermon's just about done. Music team, get ready. This Christmas, I want us to look at Simeon as a great example of how to wait well. He understood that the promise of God is something that is worth waiting for, no matter how long it takes. He sought after the Holy Spirit as he waited patiently, following God's leading. And he understood that the weight was part of the gift, helping him appreciate even more the magnitude of holding God's Messiah, our Savior, in his arms. Now that is good news for all people. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for sending your Son. In him we have seen you. We have seen your love your mercy, your compassion, your forgiveness proven to us. Father, thank you so much for that. And I pray that as we all go from here and go through all of those Christmas traditions, which are good, and be with family, which is wonderful, God, that we would also never, never, ever forget the meaning of Christmas is that you sent your Son and our Savior, Jesus, into the world. Thank you for that. And God, for all of those of us who are waiting, no matter what we are waiting for, big or small, whether the wait is long, whether it is short, God, no matter what we are waiting for, I pray that we would wait well, that we would trust that your promise and your timing are all that we need, and that we would lean on the leading of your spirit as we wait patiently, and God, that you would mold us, shape us into your character, even during this time. We pray this all in your name. Amen.